welcome to River Ridge, whether you're here in person or watching online. Uh, so last weekend, uh, actually, Jade Tidor did speak. Uh, and so I was here in the first service, uh, and then I went around the building during the second service just to kind of see what was going on uh, around the building. And I ran into the cutest little centurion. Here's a picture of a cute little centurion here. Um, so he was back there in the preschool, uh, and so apparently there were lots of little preschool centurions back there. So uh, somebody else took a picture of this, these three little guys, or four, I guess, five. There's a lot of kids there. Uh, anyway, so just so fun to see what God is doing back there. And I love that we have that age kids here at River Ridge, and just little ones. Uh, and then I looked kind of at staff meeting. We we're talking about numbers a little bit. Uh, we had 24 little centurions last week uh, here at church. I don't know how many we're going to have today. Um, but there is a lot going on with uh, preschoolers here and with just kids ministry in general. Um, and I just, and I love that 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 is the kind of church um, that we are, that we're constantly reaching young. Um, and 24 kids, 24 little centurion preschoolers is very exciting, but also very overwhelming. Um, and we were actually a little bit short-staffed last week trying to maintain all of the order with these centurions. You'd think being centurions, they would be very well-mannered and ordered, but not so much. Um, so if you are looking to volunteer and you like little ones, we would love to have your help uh, with the preschool ministry. And uh, really, volunteers are so key to Riverage Church and what God is doing here. Volunteers are just hugely key. And so uh, we try and celebrate and encourage and thank volunteers as best we can. And so next Sunday night, uh, if you're a volunteer, you probably know about this, but if you don't, this may be news, is we are having dueling pianos coming to River Ridge to do a concert uh, for us. Uh, and it's going to be fantastic. It's going to be tons of food. And if you've never been to a dueling pianos uh, event concert, I'm not sure what you call it. I've been a couple times. Um, and it's amazing. There's two pianos, as I guess the name sort of indicates. That's kind of obvious. Uh, uh, and then there's a drummer. And then you basically just request songs, like whatever song you want to hear from whatever band, whatever genre, whatever, whatever you want. Um, they know pretty much everything. I was at a show about a year ago, uh, and I requested something from Hamilton. And so they, they whipped out a song from Hamilton. So if you are a volunteer, uh, please make sure you register for that. If you don't volunteer yet um, and you want to come, start volunteering in the next seven days, and we will let you listen to music and eat food with us. All right. Hey, uh, we are going to be in the book of Exodus today. So if you brought your Bible, uh, open up to that as I begin us in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we have this morning uh, as we look into your word. Uh, God, these words that we read in the book of Exodus are just so rich and so applicable. And God, I pray that you would uh, just show us how they are true of us uh, in our lives and how we live and how we respond to the calls to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have spent the first seven weeks of this relevant series in the book of Genesis. And so today we're moving into the book of Exodus. Uh, if you're following along in the reading plan, you'll notice that it doesn't match up with the sermons exactly. But uh, towards the end of this week, or maybe it's the end of this week, we go from the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, into the rest of the Bible, into kind of the rise and fall of Israel. And so last week we ended uh, the book of Genesis as Jay gave that message and we talked about Joseph. And we talked about, if you missed it, just a brief recap, but Joseph was horribly mistreated by his brothers. He was 
thrown in a pit and then he was sold into slavery. He, was traveled, he traveled down to Egypt as part of the slave caravan. Uh, and then when he was in Egypt, he kind of went into a dungeon and then rose and then fall. He had these kind of ups and downs. There is a famine in Israel. And so his brothers and his father come down and he is able to give them food and to basically save their lives. And at one point at the, near the end of the story, and this is maybe my favorite like little kind of um, scene in the whole Bible, is, is his brothers are there, and, they're, and they, he knows who they are, and they know who he is, and, and they're fearful that he's going to kill them or send them back or do something to them. And he says to them, what you intended for evil, God has used for good. And I love that statement. Because we live in this world where things happen that seem evil or bad and difficult. And it could be because of somebody else or it could be just because of life's happenings. But what was intended for evil, God had used for good. And Joseph sees that. And I just love that fact. Now, as the story continues, um, they end up staying. Jacob, who's the dad, who's also named Israel. Uh, they stay in Egypt. Um, and over the course of time, they become slaves in Egypt. And so about 400 years go by, uh, and they're slaves in Egypt. And then there's a man who's born whose name is Moses. And that's who we're going to talk about this morning. And Moses, the, the beginning of his life, kind of the real short story, is he was born through some weird circumstances. He ended up being raised by the king of Egypt, who was called the Pharaoh. Um, and then he killed somebody, he killed an Egyptian in trying to break up a fight, basically, uh, and then he was run out of town, and he lived for 40 years in a place called Midian. Um, and so that's kind of where we're going to pick up the story today of Moses's call. Uh, but before I begin at the beginning of Moses's call, I want to read to you a part from the middle of the story, because sometimes when we read something that's thousands of years old, we go, well, what does that have to do with me. And I want to read what it is that God was calling Moses to, because I think that God is calling us to similar types of things. And I want us to kind of get on that page of what God might be calling us to. It says this. This is Exodus chapter 3. I'm going to begin in verse 7. It says, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So God comes to, and he says, look, there's two things that are happening. First is I'm going to rescue them out of slavery, out of a bad situation. And second, I'm going to bring them to this amazing place, this land flowing with milk and honey, which is what we know as modern-day Israel. And I share that with you, and I want us to kind of emphasize that and, and land there for a moment, because their story, or Moses' story, is the story of us. That what God calls you to do, and what God calls me to do, is we help people from where they are in their difficult circumstances, in their difficult situations, and we're used of God to take them to a better place. And it happens in all kinds of different ways as God has these individual calls on our lives. A few years ago, God called Stacy and I to enter into foster care, right? And, and foster care is a, a micro version 
of this. We're taking kids who come from difficult situations with parents who aren't doing a good job raising their kids, and they come into our home for a time, and then we send them back or to an adoptive home. But, but that's kind of our role. We are doing a Moses type of thing, if you will. But the Sands aren't unique in that, right? That God calls you to do the same thing. Maybe not with foster care, but with other things. That God has a call on your life. You know, maybe it's something simple at this point in time. Maybe it's God is just calling you to step up and to serve. God is calling you to step up and to lead in the context of the church. Maybe God is calling you to lead spiritually outside of the church, to be a young life leader, to work with Midian on the west side, to work with the Second Avenue Center, to go on a mission trip, whatever it might be that God is calling you to that. Maybe God's calling you into full-time ministry. Or maybe it's very simple that God's just calling you to lead your family towards Jesus, and that hasn't been something that you've been doing. The possibilities of what God is calling you to are endless. But as we work through this story, and we're going to read the story of Moses, and he's got some excuses about why he doesn't want to do what God wants him to do, what I hope to happen is that out of one ear, you're listening to the words that I speak and the scriptures that I read, but out of the other ear, my hope is that you're listening to what God might be saying to you about leading, that there's something that he's calling you to, that you'd be open to hearing what that is is. And so we go back to the beginning of the call of Moses in chapter 3, verse 2. It begins this way. So again, he's been gone from uh, Egypt, living kind of in exile for about 40 years in a place called Midian. And it says this. It says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning. Yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside, he called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. So Moses comes to this bush. It's burning. It's burning. Nothing is lit on fire other than God. And it continues to burn. He's like, this is an odd sight. First, that it's burning. And second, that it's not flaming out. And then God speaks to him. He says, Moses, Moses. And he answers, Moses answers with these words that we heard from a few weeks ago. He says, here I am. Saying, I'm here. I'm listening to what you have for me, God. We talked about that a few weeks ago as we looked at the call of Abraham. Then God speaks. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place where you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. I love this picture of the call of Moses. First thing God says is, Moses, I want you to take off your sandals, because the place that you are standing is holy ground. You are in my presence you see, what God is calling Moses to, he's not calling him just to do something, to like start a farm or raise animals or something like that. He is calling him to do holy work for a holy God. When God calls us to do his work, 
We're not just doing it for fun. We're not just doing it as the world does it. We are doing holy work. You know, I think about the picture I showed you with the little centurions, the preschoolers. The people who lead preschool, they're not just cutting out paper helmets for the kids to put on and gluing fuzzy things on paper and all the things that they do. No, they are on holy ground. That the folks who do preschool around here, they're giving their kid, these kids the first taste of God in the context of a church. That God loves you. God made you. And God, Jesus wants to be your best friend forever. And they get to be that voice. That is holy ground that they get to live and interact with and be in. God is calling you to holy ground type of work. And then in verse 10, he gives them the specifics. He says, Come. I send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. This is the call of Moses, that he's to go to the people of Israel and to call, he's to go to the people of Israel and say, or excuse me, he's to go to Egypt and say, let my people go, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. As we go through this, what's going to happen next is Moses is going to give five excuses. And these excuses, I think, are pretty similar to the excuses that we give. And there may be some overlap, there may be some differences, but, but think about the times in your life when God has nudged you to do something and you've said, no, not now, not the time, no thanks, right? And there's excuses that run through our minds. And so Moses is going to voice some of these excuses. And some of these may be ones that you have said. Some of these may be something different. But I want us to listen on the excuses and then what God says in response. Verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? You know, at the heart of this, Moses is basically saying, I don't think I'm the right kind of person to do this. I don't have what it takes to step up and to lead what you want us to do. So excuse number one is this. I'm not the right kind of person. And again, I hope that God is putting some things on your heart and your brain that he is calling you to, or that you're in the call, or he's going to call you to. And those things come up. And and maybe that's your first response of like, I'm not the right kind of person to talk to kids, high school kids about Jesus. I'm not the right kind of person to go on a mission trip. I'm not the right kind of person to do foster ministry. I'm not the right kind of person to, and then fill in the blank, whatever it is. And those are our excuses. Like, I'm not the right, it doesn't seem to fit me. Moses says that, and we say that, and here's God's response. He said, but I will be with you. God's response is so key to understanding not just this excuse, but all excuses. He says, I will be with you. That's all that Moses really needs. God says, I will be with you. What more do you need? We could almost fast forward to the very end of the story and say, okay, story over. I'll be with you. Okay, I'm going. I'm good. I will be with you. And when God calls us to do something, It's that same promise of I will be with you in whatever you do. And I think for me, and maybe for you, but but certainly for me, when, when God calls me to do something, my biggest fear is the fear of failure. 
Like, what if I do this thing and it fails? How am I going to deal with that? How am I going to react to that? How am I going to feel about myself? But this week, as I was really wrestling with this passage, a thought kind of came to me, right? And it, the thought was this, and I don't know if this is the way that you would think, but it's the, the way that I think. I'm looking, I would prefer to fail with God than to succeed in something that God doesn't want me a part of, right? I'd prefer to fail in doing something that is of God, that is holy ground type of work, than I would to be successful at something that has no kingdom value. And the thing that we look at here is it's like, it's not about Moses. It's about God. This is what God is doing, and God invites Moses to be a part of it. And so whatever God might be calling you to do, it's a God thing, and he just invites you to do what he's already going to do. In the first 13, verse 13, it says, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, What is his name? What shall I say to them? So here's excuse number two, is they won't follow me. The Israelites won't follow me. And as I look at these five excuses, and I've had the kind of the privilege to look at all five of them, like ahead of you, the, the, this one honestly seems like the most legitimate excuse to me. Because Moses has been gone for 40 years, right? And then he comes back to the Israelites who are his people, but he's lived most of his life, even when he was in Egypt, he was living in Pharaoh's household, and come back to the Israelites and say, hey everybody, follow me. You know, and I think about, and some of you can relate to this, and some of you are too young to do this, but like, think about where were you 40 years ago, okay? Wherever you were 40 years ago, preschool, if you're under the 40, then you can't play this game, but right? But, but like, where were you 40 years ago? Okay, so 40 years ago, I was uh, a freshman in high school, right? Cincinnati, Ohio, Indian Hill High School. And think about it, if I went back to Indian Hill High School, I'm like, hey, I'm here. Everybody follow me. <laughs> I'd be like, you're nuts. Like nobody would even recognize me from 40 years ago. Like all the teachers are gone, all the students are gone, all the administration is gone. But here I am, follow me. And so I kind of I relate to him on this. Like, what if they don't follow me? I think the, the fear is real. But here's God's response. Moses, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent you. Now, this is a weird phrase, right? He says, I am who I am. Usually when we say I am, we say I am incredibly handsome, right? I am incredibly strong. I don't say those things, but you say those things, right, about me. No. But you say, I, <laughs> I am, right? And we, we, we fill in the blank. I am patient, or I am not patient, right? And God would say about himself, I am powerful. I am merciful. I am forgiving. I am loving. And so there's I am, and then there's a, a phrase that follows it. But that's not what God does here. He says, I am who I am. And what God means by that, he says, I am fully sufficient. I provide everything that is needed. I am self-sufficient in and of myself and sufficient to give whatever is needed. I am everything. He says, I am who I am. It's hard to kind of get our head around that, but that's what he's saying. He says, I am who I am. I am all-encompassing. 
Now here's what's interesting. And I have read this passage probably a dozen times. I think I've given a couple messages on it even. And something hit me today, or this week as I was preparing, that I'd never, had never occurred to me, and maybe this hadn't occurred to you, is this, is as you read through the rest of the book of Exodus, the people never ask the question that Moses asked to God. What if the people say, who sent you? That question, and I could be wrong. If I've missed it, please tell me, and I won't make the same mistake in the second service. But they never say, well, who sent you? Right? And he never answers, I am who I am. And I think about that, and I think what this is about, and God giving his answer to Moses' excuse, it's more about, Moses, what's your view of God? What do you believe about God? Because when it comes to us and following God, it's, it's about what is your view of God? Do you believe that God can use you? Do you believe that God is calling you to do this thing? Because maybe you're struggling to do what God is calling you to do because your view of God is too small. That you don't view God as the great I am, the one who says, I am who I am. Then it says this, the beginning of chapter 4. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. So the they here, he's now talking about the Egyptians. He's saying, The Egyptians, what if they won't listen to me? So excuse number three is they won't listen to me. Excuses two and three really kind of go together because Whenever we lead something, whenever God calls you to step up and to lead, there's kind of two groups of people that you're leading. You're leading the people that are with you, right? So Moses is leading the Israelites, but then you're leading those people into a mission of people that may not be with you, which in this case is the Egyptians, right? And I think about when Stacy and I, one of the calls of God on my life is when we planted River Ridge Church about 20 years ago. And I had these same two fears that Moses had. I said, what if we move to Charleston and nobody's with us? We, we don't have a team to do this church plant with. And at the time, it was Stacy and me and Emily and Riley. And Stacy was pregnant with Will, right? And so we're like, well, at least in the first year, we'll have 25% growth in the first year, right? Bare minimum 25% growth, right? But we're like, well, what if nobody joins and, and, and has this shared vision? And then those people surrounded us, and God did that like so much faster than I could ever have imagined. And then we said, okay, let's invite people to come to this new kind of church that met in a theater that had a rock band. It was like, this is kind of different for Charleston, especially 20 years ago, right? What if nobody comes? And that was the segment, the people that we wanted to reach. And Moses has both of these fears going on in him. And then here's what God says, verse 2. It says, the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. And I'm going to summarize the next couple of verses. But what happens is God shows Moses his power. And the whole thing is like, Moses, this is not about you. This is about what God is doing. So he says, take your staff and throw it on the ground. So he throws it on the ground. And then it turns into a snake. And he says, okay, pick up the snake and pick it up by the tail. So he reaches down, he picks up the snake by the tail, and it turns back into his staff. And then he says, Moses, I want you to take your hand, 
and I want you to put it inside your robe. Okay, now take it out, and he pulls his hand out, and it's white with leprosy. He says, okay, Moses, now I want you to take your hand, and I want you to put it back inside your cloak, and take it back out, and now it doesn't have leprosy on it. And he provides these two miracles. He said, if you need a third miracle, you can put water on the ground, and I will turn it into blood. What God was showing Moses is that Moses, the power is not with you. This is not a Moses thing. This is a God thing. Not a Moses thing, but a God thing. And then in verse 10, But Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Most scholars look at this in just the way it's worded and phrased, believe that Moses had some sort of speech impediment, that he stuttered or something like that, maybe a lisp. Or maybe he just felt like, hey, I'm not a persuasive speaker. I'm not good at communicating to people. Excuse number four, I'm not gifted. I'm not gifted. And I think for a lot of us, that's the same excuse that we make. I'm not gifted. I'm not smart enough. I'm not caring enough. I'm not musical enough. I'm not as good as that person. I don't know enough Bible. I don't have enough time. I don't, and we just like, I'm just not gifted. Verse 11, God's response. Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to speak. Okay, leave that verse up there just for a second. So I want us to go back to seventh grade English, right? And he says, therefore go, I will be with you. Is that tense, the verb, that verse, I will be with you? Is that past, present, or future tense? One, two, three. All right, good. You all passed seventh grade English. Future tense. Here's why that's significant, Right? What God is saying to Moses is, I will equip you. I will give you what you need to do this task because this is a God thing, not a Moses thing, right? If you don't feel gifted to what God is calling you to do, understand that God will give you the gifts that you need. I heard somebody put it this way one time. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. One of the things that we have, as a church have done is we've invested on the west side. And one of the first things we did is we went to the Second Avenue Center and we began to do homework buddies with these kids. And I felt like just as the pastor, like I need to kind of go first. I need to be the first one and and see if this is going to work. But I'm like, I don't know that I could be a homework buddy for, you know, second, third, fourth grade kids and whatnot. But I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and trust that God's going to equip me to be able to do this. So I went down there, and the very first day that I'm there, they say, hey, why don't you help this, uh, I think he's in fourth or fifth grade, help him do his math. I'm like, I was pretty good in math. I got a good grade on the SAT. But apparently I'd forgotten it all because he was doing division of fractions. I'm like, I, 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 I don't remember how to do this. <laughs> And so God put in my brain, you know what? Your eighth grade son, I think, did this sometime recently, and he's pretty good at math. And so I called up Will. I'm like, 
Will, it's dad. How do I do division of fractions? And so he tells me, I'm like, oh, that's all right. You flip, that's right. You flip the second number and we, we, we divided fractions, right? I wasn't equipped to do that, but God equipped me as I went. You may not feel equipped to do what God is calling you to do, but he will equip you as you go. Fifth and final excuse comes from verse 13. It's my favorite one. But he said, oh my Lord, please send somebody else. Like, I just don't want to go. Just anybody else, anybody else, send somebody else. That's his last card. I just, I just don't want to go. Excuse number five, I just don't want to, right? And, you know, I look at him, I'm like, really, Moses? On the other hand, like, I kind of respect his honesty. Like, I'm out of excuses. I just don't want to do it. And it says this. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. You know, it's interesting what God does here. So Moses says, I can't speak well. I'm not eloquent. I have this stutter. You know, I'm not gifted. And God comes along and he says, you know what? I'm going to give you Moses. I'm, I'm going to give you Aaron, your brother, because he's a good speaker. And I do wonder, and you don't know for sure, and you can kind of read and glean some things from the book of Exodus, but I wonder, did Moses miss out on that? Like instead of being done with his stutter, becoming a better speaker and letting God equip him, and he does speak to the people some, but it seems to be mostly through Moses, did he kind of miss out on being a part of what God was doing there? So we have these excuses. And it's interesting, as you look at that, in all five of these excuses, never once, never once does Moses say, I don't think the Israelites should be freed from slavery. Never once does he say, God, this is not a good idea for the Israelites to to leave Egypt. He never says that. He is on board with God that it is a good idea. He just says, I don't want to be the one to do it. I don't want to be the one to do it. But eventually, after they go through this, it says, and then Moses obeyed the Lord. But when God calls us, the thing that God is calling you to, you're already on board that it is a good thing. You know, fostering kids is a good thing. Going to Africa so they have clean water is a good thing. Giving kids on the West Side to have a bright future is a good thing. Thing. Leading a small group is a good thing. Reaching out to college kids or high school kids or international students, those are all good things. But we say, but send somebody else. As you go along in life, you're going to get better at one of two things. You're going to get better and better at following God and saying, yes, God, I'm in. Or you're going to get better and better at making excuses. We're going to head in one of two directions. I'm going to get better and better at saying yes to God. I'm going to get better and better at giving excuses to God as why I don't want to, why I don't think so, why I don't think it was really him. And that choice is the choice that we make. So the question is, what is God laying on your heart this morning? Or maybe he's been laying this on your heart for a while, and it's now kind of come to grips and it's time to wrestle with God and to say yes to God and to leave the excuses behind and say yes to him. We're going to close our time this morning um, a little bit differently or actually maybe a lot differently. Um, 
I'm going to ask a couple of folks from the band for you guys to come up. And if you remember, at the beginning of this story, God calls Moses. And what's the first thing he says? He says, take off your shoes because you are standing on holy ground. And so these folks, they're going to play a song called Holy Ground. And what I want to encourage you to do is to take off your shoes before you sing this song. And I realize that's a little weird. It may make you uncomfortable. And if you don't want to, you don't have to. But I want you to just take off your shoes as a symbolic act of recognizing that I am listening to God's call, that I am open to doing what God wants me to do. And so they're going to play a little intro. And just before, they, before you stand up, take your shoes off as saying, God, you are calling me to a holy work. And as best I can, I want to say yes to that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the call of Moses and how it so impacts our lives. Such an example for us. God, as you are calling us, would you help us, Father, to say yes to you? Let us leave the excuses behind, Father, as we stand here on holy ground and say yes to what you call us to. In Jesus' name, amen.